I'm Noah Behrman. And I'm Jen Allen. And this is 149 Sessions. On this episode of our podcast, we talk about acceptance. We hope you accept. Hey, Jen. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Good. Good. So, uh... We decided today that we would talk about, um, it will probably spring off in many directions beyond music, but the question of acceptance. Uh, you, you, you really intrigued me and piqued my interest in a recent conversation we had slash podcast where um, you were talking about how uh, kind of global it is that musicians have to navigate the realm of being accepted both uh, by their peers and in the broader world or scene. And yet it's not something that's talked about that often. And so mm-hmm. uh, I guess, I guess that's becoming our, uh, our duty is to talk about the things that don't get talked about that's often right. enough. I like that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and we were, t- we were going to talk about vomit, but we just, you know, we didn't have uh, an hour's worth yet to say about that. We need to do some yeah. more thinking about it. Yeah, and maybe That'll people be an do talk one. about that. I don't know. Yeah, but vomit would be a an interesting, you know. I'll have to tell you about my story about when I babysat for this girl who vomited while I was babysitting for her, and the story I told her. And I always think, wow, that was really insightful for a sixteen-year-old to be telling a little kid. Wow. But that's well, so for another time we'll for the vomit. That. Yeah, <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's uh, interesting since you brought that up. Been contemplating um, the things that have or maybe haven't changed in my relationship with the notion of acceptance. I mean, in in both, it I feel like it's kind of two very related but largely separate things. That, uh, being accepted by your peers and being accepted by the broader scene, which for a jazz musician would, I guess, include critics and people who manage and book performance venues and, um, I suppose, people who um, give grants and anoint geniuses and so on. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting... I feel like we all have some some place on this continuum between I don't care. I'm just doing, I'm just doing me and I don't care who accepts it or digs it and desperate need to belong and be validated and so on. And, you know, I've never met anyone who is a hundred percent one or the other, though there are people who are farther to uh, one uh, extreme of that continuum than others. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, and it's not, at least in my experience, it's not super linear. You know, I, I've definitely, as my own career has involved, evolved, um, it's changed and gone. I wouldn't even say, now that I think about it, I was, I was going to make the statement that I will self-debunk right off the bat <laughs> that... Um, I care less about what other people think than I did when I was younger. 
And I think that's true to an extent, but I think it would probably a big part of that is that I've maybe narrowed my um, definition of whose opinions matter. Hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> so you know, it's less important to me that I be accepted widely in large part because of my um, physical issues. I, I would not be in a position if every jazz joint in the country wanted to book me, I couldn't play all those gigs. So um, in practical terms, uh, I have identified some aspects of recognition and validation as being symbolic, but not necessarily uh, impactful to my ability to do what I want to do. But I find that um, acceptance or validation from people who I particularly respect has changed a lot um or it's 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 become more important mm-hmm. it's sort of i mean uh, if if uh, if i were i guess i am technically on a couch right now it's just not a therapist's <laughs> uh symbolic therapist couch i'll be um, your therapist today thanks, Jen. <laughs> i am not licensed though <laughs> um yeah that's okay and if, if, uh, I, that means i don't have to report you if you do a bad um but you, you've historically likely. done a good job uh um, but you know, I, I think about how, um, how big a thing that was when I was younger and mm-hmm. how, I mean, and, but that goes beyond music. And I mean, that was just generally wanting to feel like I was a part of something mm-hmm. as a, especially as a teenager. Um, I don't know if I was, if I just had an easier time finding community when I was a kid or if I was just more oblivious to it and happy to play by myself. I think there was maybe a little of each, mm-hmm. but man, once I hit adolescence that, I mean, not that I know that many people who didn't have sucky adolescences, but, uh, um, but that sense of being excluded or whatever was, was really, um, intense and it be, it was, more of a social thing than an artistic thing, but I, mm. I was remembering. I, I didn't. Um, I didn't even think about connecting it to this conversation. But I was flashing back the other day to um, a high school dance. So I had had a couple of feeble attempts to go to high school dance, just as a person who could maybe get a girl to dance with me. Um, uh, that did not happen. And uh, <laughs> um, uh, but so. Uh, my high school rock band, mm-hmm. Mental Floss, got. Uh, we basically begged our way into playing at uh, a high school dance at, at mm-hmm. my school, and I was the only person from the school who was in the band. It was all people from other schools, um, and so for me, it was like this big thing to be able to bring my band in and mm-hmm. represent. That does sound big. Hopefully, impress people. And it was just, it was a comical farce. We were supposed to play several sets, and then they said, well, actually, this other band is also going to play, so you can only play one set. Mm -hmm. So we went from preparing a whole bunch of material to just preparing like half an hour's worth of material. Mm -hmm. And then we got there, and they're like, oh, well, actually, the other band's not here yet, so you can play two sets. Um... I think that was why, but for whatever reason, they're like, "Oh, you can play an you can play an opening set too," and we because we thought we were only going to play one set, we played um, the songs we hadn't rehearsed, mm-hmm. which sounded terrible. 
Um, and, uh, and then, um, the kids got really into the karaoke machine that they had brought in. And so they're like, actually, um, we only have time for one of the bands to play a set because people just want to play karaoke. And because you already played a set, uh, so you only played the bad songs. So we only played the bad songs. Let this be a lesson. Always play your good stuff first. And then worry later about... Uh, I think that probably might be a lesson. But but I just remember how mortified I was because this was a chance to like... I don't know if show off is the word, but mm-hmm. to, to show my peers that I was actually doing something cool. Mm-hmm. And that consisted of half an hour of tunes that like the drummer didn't remember how to play. And yeah. Uh, um, But I'm yeah, I mean... It, it mattered. It was actually a, an important symbolic moment in my life that I didn't have a date for junior prom, so I didn't go. And I didn't have a date for senior prom either. And I considered, but I had some female friends who didn't go, uh, who didn't go to my high school, but who were cute, including the one who eventually became my girlfriend and subsequently wife. And I thought, you know, I, I basically considered asking one of them to go as my trophy date just so I could show the people in my high school that I wasn't as much of a uh, unlovable loser as uh, as I perceived. It sounds like they, an 80s movie. Yeah, I guess so. Um, as I perceived they thought I was. And they, yeah. probably, uh, they probably weren't paying enough attention to right. care one way or the other. And I decided, you know... That's just stupid. Like, if I want to spend mm-hmm. a night with one of these people, I can do that mm-hmm. without going to this prom. But doing this thing that's inherently phony just to make people who I don't ultimately care about that much. Sorry if any of you are listening right now. I don't mean you specifically. I mean everybody <laughs> else. Um, uh, that's just, it just felt phony and wrong. Yeah, and uh, yeah. so I decided not to go. And then, ironically, wound up... Um, playing uh, a gig with a couple friends that night instead, including your husband, Chris. Yeah, so, cool. um, uh, But it, it's just interesting to me how... The, the fact that I even considered that mm-hmm. just um, underscored how hard I was trying to belong. Mm-hmm. And, try to feel, and, and I guess it's a slight difference, not so much belong, but feel accepted, feel, right. feel validated and... Uh, um, so, you know, by the time I got serious about jazz, it was just sort of a given that how how people accepted me was vitally important. And there's some ways tangibly in which it is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, obviously, if you want to play with other people, then them thinking that you're cool is advantageous. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the sort of ego and status part of it um, is maybe a little more complicated. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of took it as a given because when I started hanging out with serious musicians who were my age or a bit older, so much, and this is true to an extent now, but so much of your validity was who you could name drop and who you were playing with mm-hmm. and so on. Like if if you had a gig with so-and-so, that automatically increased your your credibility and likelihood of being accepted even before anyone heard you play a note just that that seal of approval mm-hmm. um it sort of felt and so 
as I was developing my conception of jazz, that was sometimes outweighing my sense of how good the music was. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like a gig that was desirable was measured more by how cool did it make me that I was being called by these people as opposed to was it a positive musical experience? Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty prevalent, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I think that's pretty much how life is, though. I don't think it's just in the music world. Like, I think a lot of people probably can relate to that, whether it's in their their careers of business or, sure. you or know. Social sphere. So, or... Yeah, I feel like that is really prevalent online. I was talking with my, um, my hairdresser the other day. We were talking about that, and she was kind of lamenting just you know, having to be on Instagram and uh-huh. having to make her page look a certain way. And, right. and she's like, so I see you're really busy online. And I was like, no, that's really funny. Like you're, you know, we, we are, I think social media kind of just, uh, kind of pumps up that, that whole thing that like, you have to look a certain way and you have to like, be presenting yourself in a certain way. And I feel that I feel like I have to put things out there. And I mean, that goes against almost everything within me. (laughs) Like I don't want to do this, you know, Uh like I got all these photos taken back in January and I like the last thing I want to do is put them online. And my photographer who's also helping me with some other things is like, why aren't you posting these pictures? And I'm just like, I need to do this, you know, and I'm doing it, you know, but there's something, something in me that's reluctant because of that. Just, um, it's, it's kind of false, you know, it's not, uh, well, just false. It's just false. Like, uh, how people are like, I'll have people come up to me and just be like, Oh, you're so busy or you're, you're doing this. And I'm like, well, maybe if we talked, I'm just, what I'm saying is that social media doesn't, doesn't allow for the kind of acceptance you really want. It's like a false acceptance, you know, the the little dopamine rush when someone likes your whatever. And yeah. uh, And that, that stuff is just like, wow, like why I don't want to put my energies there, but I have to put my energies there and I'm fine. I'm doing it. And, you you know, and I'm getting it done. But like, I really, you know, at this point in my life really want people who really accept me and people who really like want to be around me. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a lot of people who, who fit that category, you know, it's just with, um, social media, sometimes I'll, I get a little off track in that. I'll be like, you know, I think a lot of people can do that. They're like, Oh, so-and-so got a picture with so-and-so and and that, that looks, they must be, you know, Oh, they got this gig with this. Yeah. Like that kind of, it just promotes that, that false sense of acceptance. And I think that we all we all want real acceptance, you know, and, and I hope we do. I mean, I, I, I'll, I, I'll speak for myself. Yeah. I want real acceptance and I want, uh, and I really think most people want that deep down. They might not know it, but I think that's what we're all looking for is a sense of, of belonging. And, um, I think that that's, it's hard to find in music. And I, and I want to just, I want to separate music from me. You know, I had somebody in this conversation or no, in life. In life Um, because music is a part of me. It is not me though. And I, I, I feel like for so long, like up until yesterday (laughs) 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 that I, I, I mix those two up. I mean, I still, I still do this. 
You know, like I will, if I have, I think I've mentioned this in another podcast, but like I had this piece of music that I wrote and I had it performed. Uh, it didn't come out the way I wanted oh, to. And yeah. <laughs> and it crushed me. Yeah, and I was like yeah. in literal tears because I was like, I'm a failure. Like this should not be going this way. And it made me realize that like, wait a second, music is not me. I am not music. It is a part of my life. I am blessed to be able to create Mm -hmm. and be part of the creation process and I want to do that more but I think it's unhealthy to make it me and that and one of the same though I often like 99% of the time have a hard time separating uh, separating the two but I think that there's some truth in that because like what if my hands got cut off today I know. I mean, God forbid that. Yeah, yeah. But like, what am I going to do? You know what I mean? Like, I have to think that that is not me because if that happens, then that's the end of my life. Yeah. You know, and uh, and as I as I get older, I think this stuff too. Like, I'm like, well, when I'm 75, will my hands still move? Or even in 10 years from now, I have I, I have you. very you know you you deal with this all the time. Like, so I have to I have to balance out that with my acceptance you know like it doesn't just come from music it comes from and and inside like I think I I think my biggest struggle is not being accepted by people but being accepted by myself Uh you know and finding that I have what I need to be the human being that I need to be. And I think I started meditating you know a couple years ago and um, recently I've been using this one app, which I thought has been really helpful. And the one thing that the image that they give is that like your norm, your base, the who you are is like the blue sky. Like the blue sky is always there, whether you can see it or not, Mm. you know, and sometimes there's just light fluffy clouds and those are like things that might come by and, you know, and influence how the day is going. And then sometimes it's like really cloudy and it's, you can't see that blue sky and it, right. it's remembering that that blue sky is there and you can get to that at any point in time. And that to me, that image was so powerful because I was like, yes, that's, that is what I want to be going for. Like that sense of self, um, accepts, acceptance that like knowing that I am, I have a baseline of who I am and the acceptance that's there. And then everything else, you know, it's going to change day to day, but, and I just kind of go with that, remembering that's always there. So, um, that's kind of my goal as of late, you know, because I don't want to get hung up on like whether so-and-so is going to like what I play or, you know, or so-and-so is going to hire me or, you know, like that, seems like chasing after the wind you know like yeah. it doesn't doesn't really add up to much in the long run that's a good point well and yeah certainly if the more it's governed by status as opposed to you know it's one thing i mean even if you think just personally if if let's say you are craving somebody's acceptance um i mean you could one could say you shouldn't crave anybody's acceptance. You should just love yourself enough to not care. And Mm -hmm. that's probably true too. Um, But I I feel like there's this interesting, or and I feel like there's this interesting distinction. If you are, if you are wanting someone to get you or to appreciate you, is it because 
you respect and value that person and you you know you they are aligned with who you are trying to be in a way where their opinion particularly matters on a on a deep level or is it more of a status-based thing where where it would somehow validate you more and make you more important mm. if that person liked you regardless of what you actually think of that person or mm-hmm. and i guess as musicians we have a certain as you were talking about posting on social media we have a certain responsibility insofar as we are public figures to try to get our stuff to be noticed by people who are quote important unquote mm-hmm. you know it would be professionally self-defeating not to care about that stuff at all mm-hmm. um and then the question is how do we conflate that or or avoid conflating that if we're if we're i don't know enlightened enough to do so or um with our self-worth and mm-hmm. so on and you know, when someone who I just appreciate on a basic level and feel aligned with appreciates my work, it doesn't necessarily stoke my ego. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, probably not so much. But it's it feels like validation that I'm on the right track because of this person who I aspire to be like mm-hmm. gets what I'm doing, then maybe I'm on the right track yeah, in a certain totally. way. Whereas uh, if it's more status-based, it feels more like accumulating props yeah. that can be used for for something else. And I mean, it was a big uh, transition for me. Um, there's a, a venue in my town that I used to play um, somewhat frequently and um, small venue, um, the buttonwood tree for if you're looking for examples uh and for various logistical reasons i don't play there much anymore but uh it's a cool um community venue that maybe seats 30 people and i feel a little embarrassed by this now but i guess that's the trajectory of our podcast as we share embarrassing things with each other and whoever's listening (laughs) go uh, for it (laughs) um i used to when i when i would play there because it was within my community i would generally have a pretty good showing i mean among you know there weren't that many seats but mm-hmm. uh and it, it's a very intimate space so um i i found that i was making a pretty big impact like people were clearly moved the intimacy of the space meant there was this real shared energy mm-hmm. and when the gigs were over my sort of default response if it went like i just described was wow, that was really cool. Too bad this wasn't an important gig. Mm, yeah. Because nobody's ever going to think more highly of me because I played a great show at the Buttonwood Tree where I moved people. Mm. And, uh, and at a certain point, I stepped back and I'm like, that is really messed up. Yeah, like yeah. That, that I perceive, because this is not a status-imbuing engagement that somehow it wasn't important Mm. and that uh it's the thing that sort of like a placekeeper not that i literally thought of it as a placekeeper but a thing a thing that was not helping my career or whatever Mm. and from a certain standpoint that's true you know it's not going to make me more um uh 
sought after and written about and so on in the wider jazz world that I played there and that people had a, a emotional spiritual experience doing mm-hmm. it and I'm glad I turned that around so now you know I do the I curate this jazz up close series at the public library in Middletown the Russell Library and w- with all due humility it's gotten to the point where there are a lot of people who love the series, show up all the time, who who are just clearly moved that they get to experience these guest artists uh, up close and mm-hmm. uh, interact with them. And I'm glad that I've evolved to a point where I can really feel what a profound experience that is rather than say, okay, well, you know, it's not bad for the local public library in my town that nobody cares about, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, yeah. and... Uh, I'm trying really hard. So in in that sense, it's not that I'm I've divested myself of completely caring um, about what people think, but I've shifted my perspective on whose opinions, whose opinions, and what sorts of opinions matter. You know, yeah. I still like it when critics say nice things about me. And, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, is some are the people who I'm trying to reach getting something out of it and, right. Uh, right. Um, which you know there's part of me that steps back and like well that's a, a very convenient um, uh, sour grapes uh, way of looking at it you know in other mm. words um, oh well you know because really, because though. the national publications and the New York clubs don't care about you uh, of course you're going to say well, well who needed that you know I wanted this uh, Yeah, but once that's over, it's over. I mean, that's the thing, you know, once, you know, everything has its end and like it, I feel like it's a much better place to be in where you know there are people who really appreciate you. I think that's, I love that book, uh, Jane Eyre. And um, there's this one place in the book where if you know the book, you know, she's, um, she was in love with Mr. Rochester, and mm-hmm. he was kind of like this rich kind of, I wouldn't say mean, but he's kind of mean, like crotchety dude, you know, and and uh, she falls in love with him, but then she finds out he's still married uh, to this his wife who is mentally ill and lives in the tower. I'm, I'm giving away the whole book. Sorry, guys. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's a little late at this point. But uh, she ends up going off and... and uh, kind of living with this, I don't know if he's a cousin or something like that, but he's a pastor and he's trying to convince her to like go out and be a, uh, a missionary in I think in Africa or someplace with him. And, you know, this will be the most righteous life she could have. And doesn't he, doesn't she see how well he treats her? And, and he's kind of getting mad at her because, you know, this, on all accounts looks like the much better choice, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm taking care of you. It's more righteous. It's, it's everything that you want. I'm treating you well. Why do you keep like dwelling on Mr. Rochester? And she's like, I think it's Mr. Rochester. Now I'm doubting my, my names. I haven't read the book for a long time, but, um, I might be mixing up my books. Um, 
but anyway, so she's, she's standing there and having this conversation with him and he's like, well, why? He's really getting mad at her. Like, why are you choosing him? And, and she goes, because he gets me. Like he mm. sees me for who I am and loves me for that. And I think that that's the key to everything right there. Like that one line in the book, it's not quotable. Like I'm not quoting it exactly because I don't <laughs> remember it, but the that one was, moment in the book. there was this one moment in the book that just really made me love that book. Cause I was like, isn't that what we want? To be seen completely and, you know, be accepted. And I guess that's why I have faith. Like, um, you know, and my faith is constantly changing. But, like, I do believe that there is a higher power who loves me and accepts me because mm. I'm the creation. Right. You know, and, like, like, just the way I am without any strings attached. And when you can find people who feel that way about you, whether it's about your music, they love the music or whether it's about you, like, I think that that's very powerful. And like, so to have, you know, that experience for you where you realize that those are the moments, right? It's not about status per se, because status will change from time to time. But like the moments where people really appreciate what you're giving and what you're putting out there for what it is. I think that that's, that's where it's at, you know, that's interesting. You know, it, I, I, you're, uh, perhaps inadvertently helping me put two and two together in one way where one thing I, I would never say that I was, um, particularly, uh, insincere, in the past with my art I've always Mm -hmm. been a pretty um I don't know emotionally open and genuine but I've been much more conscious about putting my heart further on my sleeve being more straightforward and vulnerable uh in whatever context I'm uh putting myself out there musically or writing or whatever just Mm -hmm. sort of and I think in a weird way I mean, I don't regret this at all, but it's sort of, I don't know, it's a strategy uh, and I guess an inadvertent one because I hadn't thought about it until just now, um, a strategy for weeding out those who might not be into what I'm really about. I mean, I had the experience at this point, we're talking like 20 years ago, but when when I first started to realize that Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome was going to have a significant impact on my um, on my career. I mean, I realized it on some level from the get-go, I guess, but, but just realizing there were just certain things I wasn't going to be able to do and had had enough experiences of, like, getting and losing gigs with people because I was injured or had physical limitations that made me not able to do the thing. And so then they'd stop calling because it's obviously much easier to hire someone who's low maintenance in that way. And I experienced what I perceived at the time in my mid twenties to be a period of fairly widespread rejection. And even then I sort of framed it as, okay, well, I guess I know who the people are who really get me Mm -hmm. or really care or whatever. But, uh, um, and I suppose that probably stoked a sense of wanting to just put who I really am out there. And it still doesn't mean everybody gets it. But no, uh, yeah. but um, if someone really gets it, I have a deeper sense that they're getting it for 
they're more likely getting it for the reasons that I intended. Mm -hmm. And I recognize, uh, professionally speaking, that that's a completely stupid and self-indulgent way of looking at it in the sense that, you know, if anybody likes your art, it kind of doesn't matter why, you know, Mm -hmm. it is advantageous for someone to be a fan. And uh, Mm -hmm. um, even if they like you for reasons that are completely tangential to why you're making music, you don't want to, you don't want to, turn away or alienate anybody who digs what you're doing for any reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess what you were talking about uh, um, from Jane Eyre, I guess, mm-hmm. resonates in the sense that I would rather have fewer people really get what I'm going for than be just sort of more broadly but vaguely accepted as a good piano player or whatever. Mm. I mean, that would be nice too, I suppose. But uh, but it just doesn't have much, as as I said earlier, doesn't have a whole lot of relevance at this point. Mm. And I guess I've had enough experiences um, similar to uh, what we were talking about with me having these very uplifting experiences where people who are not as obviously quote important unquote are getting and being moved by what I'm doing. I've also had experiences where people who, who could confer a degree of status said something nice and it didn't really with, if that was the only thing that was happening, it didn't really have that much to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, like it was nice that somebody thought or said something nice, but it didn't mean suddenly I was awash with gigs that I wanted. And it didn't mean (laughs) that my status in the wider world changed. And it certainly didn't mean that I felt better about myself as a human being than I did before that. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think that's why it's really, really important that we have like a sense that there is kind of like that base self-acceptance and like even core people who, you know, you can trust musically because, um, everything else is fluctuating, you know, Mm. like it can, it comes, it goes. And I think that (laughs) this is a silly thing, but like on Instagram, you know, you'll get like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I was talking with the hairdresser the other day about this, uh, about the whole Instagram, you know, people will like, like your page, you know, and then I'll have like, I don't know, 640 like likes. And then I'll like be on my page. And I was like, Oh, I have 635 likes. It was like, I just experienced that for the first time recently. And I was completely bewildered both by the spike and then the disappearance of, but that's how it is. It's like this really superficial, like, well, I'm going to like you. So you like me. And I was just like, and then once you like me, I'm going to unfriend you. And I was like, what the heck? Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Like just this like game of that stuff, but that that's the superficiality of of not of just wanting to be popular for popular sake. You know, like the deeper meaning stuff actually sticks, you know. Yeah. So it, I don't care if I have 600 followers as as long as there are people who really want to and like check out what I'm doing and really care right. instead of like, you know, having 10,000 that like how do you reach 10,000 followers anyway? Really? I'm sure they're not all popping up well, on once everybody's my, Once feed, my uh, <laughs> supermodel pics start uh, appearing on the uh, interwebs, uh, we'll have an answer uh-huh. to that question. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm not. I it would be great. I guess there's a lot of benefit to having 10,000 followers out here. But anyway, what I'm saying is that um, 
that's just kind of an example of the yeah yeah of the course. fleeting um, you know nature of of not real acceptance right. One thing I've tried to focus on recently, sort of on the flip side of that, and this is something you do really well. I don't know if you're aware of it, but uh, um, when I'm, I don't know, dishing out praise or whatever, to try to be specific, mm-hmm. um, which is to say, if if I heard somebody's record and it moved me or heard a show and it moved me, you know, it's... I mean, it's great anytime somebody says that sounded good, good job. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I can try to tune into it on a deep enough level that I can give more specific feedback about what about it I was moved by, you know, maybe I'm, maybe it doesn't have this effect, but mm-hmm. there's at least a greater potential that it can help convey to that artist that what they were really going for landed yeah. you know even a, if it wasn't what they were going for i just think that's just a nicer human human thing to do than i try to i mean I, i've obviously you know not always had something to say nice about some but i like when somebody will be like oh i like this specific song and i like it for this reason and yeah. it makes me feel like oh you actually listen to it instead of just saying hey i checked out your album sounds good you know i and so for me like when i get albums i really try to you know say exactly what I, I like about it because I feel like they're, they're putting their, their heart out there. And that's the, that's the acceptance part. It's like, wow. Like, even if it's not my, like what I would do, like, I want to see their intent and, and try to sure acknowledge Acknowledge it for what that is. And I guess that the older I get, the more I see, you know, I used to view, acceptance in a fairly um one way uh manner in other words Mm -hmm. i was thinking entirely about was i being accepted did people want to give me gigs or whatever and Mm. um it was it was a while before it occurred to me that i was a participant in this um hopefully reciprocal process as well and so now I actually care less about whether I'm accepted and more about whether I'm doing my part in helping others. And, you know, if we're talking about music, helping others feel like mm-hmm. they are understood enough that there's some validation. To oh, go I think on. you do a really good job of that. Oh, I thanks. feel like you reach out to a lot of people. I see online, and I've seen you in person, and like I've been the recipient. <laughs> you know, I think you really do do a a good job of that, and that's admirable. I feel like. I think a lot of people, we all do need to get out of our, out of our own selves and realize that the acceptance process is not just one way, you know, and that, that is super key, um, in realizing that you are part of the making that happen. Um, I, I feel like some people do that more naturally. I, I have to work on it. Like you, I'm, you I'm so really very it, self-centered. So, so. <laughs> to tell tell myself let's do this you know and and i appreciate when i can do that and when i can step beyond myself but there are there are a lot of people who who just do that and just give that kind of acceptance so um and i I think that's 
I think that's personality partly, but I think Maybe. that when you realize, like partly what you it's said, a habit, yeah. yeah, you can cultivate that, that habit even more. Well, and one of the things I think that's nice about it is, um, it, uh, it seems, it seems that taking that approach makes it less me centered anyway. Mm-hmm. And just in general, it's, it's nice when, uh, it's nice when, I mean, it, from one perspective, it'd be great if everybody was talking about me all the time, but uh, it's kind of a lot of pressure to perceive that your success, and you know, it's easy to get in, that your success is what it's all about. It's easy to get into a headspace of uh, um, entitlement. Um, Do you know what I mean? Like this, I deserve to get attention for my stuff, and this is you know, how am I achieving that? How well am I achieving that? And, uh, um, and just to, it's maybe not super, um, positive or healthy. I find, or at least for me, when I'm so me centered in that way that Mm. I'm not just thinking, okay, well, you know, this is a community of musicians that inherently, is creating more stuff than there are people to consume to the degree that mm-hmm. all of this art deserves. And that's maybe sad, but what, what little part can I play in helping people in general feel like they're supporting each other yeah. as opposed to how come I'm not getting more attention. Right. And that's such a healthier, better way of living, you know, like, I mean, there are things that we can do to do that, you know, like go out to people's gigs, you know, encourage them with notes, you know, you know, invite them over and just be friends. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's like, there's a, I'm sure you have other ways that you do it as well, but just like, um, I think those are really key things to community. And I think, I think the jazz community sees that, you know, I, I think that there's a lot, I, at least from what I see online, um, I feel like people are having those conversations. Yeah, I think so. You know? And I guess, I guess it's sort of philosophically, um, this is not, I, I say philosophically because this is not about um, identifying or criticizing how anybody deals with issues of community. Um, but philosophically, I find it interesting to contemplate, are you viewing... Um, are you viewing community as the thing that makes it all worthwhile as a musician or, and is, is any sense of acceptance just coming from what a blessing it is for that to be a thing in which you get to participate, uh, Mm. but just that it exists. And if you checked out tomorrow, you'd still be glad that it existed Mm. or is community, a means by which for you to get attention and validation and mm. gigs and so on. Mm. Like is to, to what extent, and ultimately, I mean, I'm happy for anybody to do nice and supportive things, even if it's a completely crassly calculated attempt to go through the motions of, you know, just like, I appreciate please. And thank you. Even if it's completely forced. Mm. Um, but there is a certain, sense uh, and you know this is just something i have to always check myself on in many levels is is this thing that is 
utopian and wonderful, something that I'm pursuing on its own terms, or is it a loophole by which I can get the thing that I want? Mm-hmm. Am I am I learning to let go of ego because it's just more liberating to live that way, or am I learning to let go of ego because I suspect that that's a loophole whereby the back door I can get that review and downbeat and uh, because I'm not forcing the matter. And it's fine to still want those things, but I guess all of that is a roundabout way of saying that the older I get, the less I'm viewing it through the lens of what can this do for me and more through the lens of what do I want to see exist in the world regardless of how much I'm participating in. Well, me too. But I, I, I think even if you're, if people are doing that, I feel like they're creating neural pathways that are going to be positive. Totally. And like, That's why and I'm putting it in, in philosophical terms yeah. rather than judging anybody who's approaching yeah. it one way. I mean, cause we've way. all done things like that. And I think we all have to kind of, you know, admit to our own egos and our own selfishness and then, you know, figure out, you know, where is your real community? And, um, and for me, especially, as I get older, I say this a lot. I feel like I am older because <laughs> as I get older, um, you're getting older with each, each passing <laughs> sentence. I know uh, I'm so old. I'm even older. <laughs> um, but that it's really important to have a community and who is my community. And, and I feel like, uh, you know, there, there's busy times of life, you know, like when you have children or whatever, yeah. and, and those are busy and your community seems to dwindle it, it, or changes. Or shift, yeah. Yeah, it shifts. And then as, as I see my children getting older, I see my community kind of changing and and uh, and having to nurture that again. So it's not even like a, a static thing. You know, I think we all have to continue to give into places where we think are worthwhile of giving because that's... And for selfish reasons, you know, like I give to certain people because I want them to be my friend. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, and I need that friendship and, and not, sometimes it's, it's stuff I have to be like really conscientious of. Like I'm not a natural think of other people kind of person. You, you, I, you present as one very well. So, uh, <laughs> well, good, good I, job faking it. Uh, I feel like there's other people who are just all, you know, it's, it's their personality to like, just ooze, like giving, giving, giving. And I have to really be conscientious of it. And I, and I don't mind doing that because I want to do that. And I want to be perceived that way, but I I don't think it's a natural thing for me. And what I'm saying is I, I have done that in the last few years with friends that like, you know, I'm like, okay, these are people who I think like are good people and I want to be around and I, I want that and I'm going to give out the things that I, yeah. you know, if they're accepting of it, great. If they're not, well then I'll, you know, move on or whatever. Well, but sounds like you're tuned into yeah. what you want on a deep level and you're yeah. being, um, appropriately so not, methodical about pursuing that. Right. So I'm just saying it's not all about, you know, not getting something like I'm doing oh, that, trying to get something, but not also like, selfishly so it's like hey it's all about me but like i i feel like there really is no such thing as altruism you know that's like a broader conversation but <laughs> that's I, for but another I what, podcast <laughs> i hear what you're saying yeah. but uh, you know you do you don't we you all get something get something out, of, out something. of it even if it's something where there's nothing earthly that we appear to get out of it right. there's some emotional experience we have through that action i'm, right. I'm with you there I, I tend to agree yeah um well, it, have I given you my Phoebe Snow rant before? I don't think so. Um, 
So Phoebe Snow, for those who are not familiar with her, uh, was a wonderful singer, songwriter, um, particularly a singer. She was spectacular. Um, And in the mid-70s, she put out an album that got a lot of attention. She had a top five hit song. She landed on the cover of Rolling Stone. And around that time, she had a daughter named Valerie who uh, was severely developmentally disabled. Mm -hmm. And Phoebe essentially semi-retired from music in order to take care of Valerie, which she did for the 31 years that Valerie was alive. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, And then there was only, I think, not quite two years between when Valerie died and when Phoebe had a brain aneurysm, oh, which gosh. ultimately she died from. So there was this two-year stretch at the end of uh, her life where she went back to singing full-time. And she continued to perform and record mm. in the meantime, but it was uh, all revolving around taking care of her kid. And mm. And I think about her a lot in terms of the meaning and relevance of being accepted by fans mm. and critics and being quote-unquote yeah. important in the ways that we think of those achievements uh, being or, or making us. And mm. um, and the image that comes to mind, and I actually wrote a song about it, I'll play you the song sometime, okay. um, uh, called Valerie's Arms. And uh, Actually, I think um, I have heard this. Have you heard this one? Or the story? I think both. It's all coming back to me, but I think I've heard the song I'm saying. Okay. But I'd like to hear it again, just because it's not completely on the... It just feels familiar. Okay. Well, so the idea, for those who have not heard it, uh, um, is I envision Phoebe encountering St. Peter. And the, the, the question that kept coming to me that led me to write this song was, is St. Peter, as, as the symbol of deciding whether someone has lived a righteous enough life to um, to uh, be on the upside of the afterlife or whatever. Um, is St. Peter going to say, yeah, but you know, you kind of, you had a chance to win Grammys and uh, have more hit records and you opted out of that. Like, let me, let me see the hardware. Let me see the trophies and, yeah. uh, and the hits, you know. I, I have a very hard time imagining anything outside of the realm of ego that could lead to the conclusion that she missed an opportunity or squandered something Mm -hmm. rather than living a righteous life that wound up largely being out of the spotlight in spite of having this prodigious talent. And uh, so I... Um, I think about that as sort of my symbol of, and this is not to say that I don't also want critics to write about my yeah. music, that I don't want lots of people to pay attention to the album that you and I did together. <laughs> yeah. Raise Up by Trio 149, available now <laughs> on RMI Records. Uh, um, but I, I, when it comes down to moments, not all moments are like this, but moments of crossroads of do I pursue this thing that has more potential to bring me glory and attention and validation or this other thing that's just in tune with my life's values. Sometimes you can do both. Sometimes it's the same thing, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it is a crossroads. Sometimes you have the energy or resources or whatever to devote to one but not the other at a given moment and which is your priority and I you know I'm weirdly glad that there are some artists 
who have pursued the art at the expense of their personal health or their families or whatever, because yeah. even if that's bad for the universe, maybe we got some great art out of it. I don't, yeah. I can't really assess that, uh, yeah, on, totally. on a case by case basis. But I know for me, um, it's that, that perspective further helped or thinking about Phoebe Snow in that context further helped me solidify my own sense of, okay, what do I need the validation for mm-hmm. and how much, how much am I going to care at the end of it all, whether I got that relative to how much I care about connecting in ways that are less obvious and less easy to translate to, um, showing off right. how quote unquote successful I am. Right. I was just watching a show about that on Netflix. It's kind of up that same alley. It's called uh, huge in France. And it's about this, like, you know, it's not even that, it's not that great of a show. I mean, it, it's, it's okay. But like, he's like this big comedian in France. He gives it up to come to the U S to be with his son where nobody uh-huh. thinks he's funny. And, and so he has to struggle with this, like, am I going to, go for laughs like is that going to be my thing or am I going to like pour into my son mm. you know and I'm not going to tell you what happens okay. but so it's a tv show it's okay it's got I mean I watched all eight episodes so it wasn't that bad <laughs> <laughs> there it's it's very uncomfortable in a lot of things which it's I think it's supposed to be mm-hmm. you know which I appreciate about but anyway it, it's on that it's on that same I think those those kinds of ideas are very poignant like we all can can kind of relate to like what really matters um and we have to pick whether it's going to be the art or whether it's going to be something else and um that's part of of finding where we belong yeah you know and yeah yeah it's a lot well i think uh um this has been an illuminating and somewhat exhausting conversation. <laughs> yeah, getting, we're going to have to continue this, this another day. Okay. I like this. This is fun. I hope others are liking this. So. I hope so, too. All right. But if they don't accept us, then... Uh, At least I we guess, accept each other. Yes. <laughs> and so we know that we're being genuine. That's true. All right. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Jen. Bye.